This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. It is that time of the week once again. Welcome inside the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. G-Man, it's great to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to see you as well. It's great to be back again. It certainly is. A wonderful show lined up for us and our listeners tonight. Tell us who we have. I am really excited about this one. We have Anthony Castrovince coming up. He's an MLB writer. Really good one. And I think Mariner fans will really enjoy some of the things he's written this offseason. So we'll talk about that and much more. Joey Gerber, Mariner's pitcher. Very entertaining guy. A conversation coming up that people really enjoy. And Shannon Dreyer is going to join us as well. We're going to talk some Baseball America Top 100, which is also great news for the Mariners. Yeah, great news on the prospect front for the Mariners. No surprise. And we begin the program tonight with uh, something that we have never done on the Hot Stove Report. We are joined by not one but two members of the Mariners organization and two key ones at that. We're joined by Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth, fresh off his first season in the bigs leagues with the Mariners and also Mariners starting pitcher Justice Sheffield. Justice joining us from his home in Tennessee. Meanwhile, Pete Woodworth from his home in Florida. Um, both you guys, we thank you for joining us tonight. First, let's start with uh, Pete. Uh, how are you and, and how's the new year treating you so far? Can't complain. So far, so good. We just had uh, we just had our, our one-year-old birthday party this past weekend. Um, so uh, as I've heard, it's, it's, all, uh, it's all uphill from here. Um, it's, it's only going to get more fun, so... Uh, other than that, man, Florida, Florida's treating us well, um, but we are, uh, we're getting ready to pack it up and, and head out to Arizona here in uh, two weeks. I can imagine, man. Justice, what's the, what's the offseason been like for you so far? Yeah, it's been good, uh, real good, actually. Um, been kind of back home, just uh, we're kind of quarantining still here. Uh, you know, the COVID's kind of hit uh, kind of bad in Tennessee. So um, just been really just laying low, uh, chilling with the family getting my workouts in and, and, and stuff like that. So it's been, it's been good, but real chill, laid back. In, in the background, you have a couple of – a few actually framed jerseys and a couple are from your high school days in, in Tullahoma, Tennessee. Now, in normal times, when you can walk and roam the town freely, I mean, when you walk around Tullahoma, man, like you got to be a big deal, right? When Justice <laughs> Sheffield walks into a restaurant, I mean, what, what's the vibe like for Justice in his hometown? Oh uh, yeah, people definitely uh they know uh they know me, my family pretty well around here. Uh but it's good. We get treated we get treated well. Sometimes we get free food or you know, <laughs> things like that. So uh it comes with some good benefits, but uh you know, definitely you can't uh, uh be seen out doing anything kind of crazy or stupid cuz you you'll be seen. Is Tullahoma known for a certain food? Like is there a like a best dish in Tullahoma? Nah, I wouldn't say a best dish, but there's a lot of like hole in the wall mom and pop uh, stores. So um, they make the best food, in my opinion. So, what does your off season look like in terms of workout, getting ready for the season? Well, early on, I was uh, lifting heavy. I started throwing earlier this year just because mm-hmm. of the shortened season. Um, I felt like I wasn't as tired as I would be in the full season. Um, so I started throwing earlier, um, stretching out while I'm tossing. And uh, working out-wise, I was lifting heavy, uh, doing a lot of lower body uh, heavy lifts. And then uh, as I started getting on the mound, I kind of cut down the lifts and started working on more plyo work, uh, box jumps, uh, stretching, and uh, core work, things like that. Who are your throwing partners there? Uh, my brother. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's uh, with the Rockies now, actually. He was Rule 5 last year, uh, this past year. So 
he's getting ready to uh, attack that goal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy having him here in the offseason, easy to throw with. And, uh, you know, I got some catchers from back in the day that can still handle it. So uh, it's been good. You know, Pete, you mentioned a moment ago uh, you're, you're now one-year-old. Uh, people would have a really hard time grasping what that season in 2020 was like for you in particular. There is so much going on for you personally and professionally, your first year as a big league pitching coach, but from a personal side of things, your family's back home in Florida. You've, you've got a little baby in the home and you're as, as far away as you possibly can be from the loves of your life. Uh, what has it been like for you to just get back home, be back with your family and have as best as we can right now as a society, have a sense of normalcy? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize how far away Seattle was. Um, so uh, now that, now that we know that I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to come with me this year, but uh, uh, it was, it was great to get back home. Um, and I, more than any other off season, I feel like I've really spent, as much time as I can with, with my wife and, and kid. Um, but, you know, during the season, there was a shoot, even from spring training uh, at the beginning of the year, like there was a lot of unknowns. There was a lot of uncertainties. There was a lot of new experiences. Um, so it, it definitely kept me occupied. Um, there, there was times where it was tough, but for the most part, um, every day was a, was a new challenge. Um, Except for the days that Chef pitched. Those were easy days. <laughs> I do enjoy the, um, the, the chef emoji. And, and Pete is fairly, uh, a fairly active guy on, on social media, on, on Twitter in particular. And there, you know, there aren't many pitching coaches out there uh, hip enough chef to be retweeting the uh, chef emoji after one of their young pupils goes out and, and throws up a quality start. The dynamic between the two of you is I, I think special to say the least, simply because of the time that you guys have put in together going back to your time in the Texas league is both of you have you know, made a pretty quick ascent from the minors up, up to the majors in the grand scheme of things. But chef, I'd love to hear you just kind of talk about your relationship with, with Pete and, and how far it's coming o- over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, uh, we, we hit it off together uh, pretty quick and easy. Uh, from the first day I went down to Arkansas, you know, he sat me in the, in the office and we just kind of, you know, laid it down real quick and um, talked about what I wanted and, you know, from then on, I knew that he was going to be a guy that I was going to be able to trust just because of uh, the, the type of person he was, a uh, real people person. You know, he felt like one of the guys, like a, like a teammate pretty much. So, um, you know, I knew that he was going to be there for me. And, you know, he's helped me tremendously, uh, not on the field, but also off just, uh, you know, staying focused, staying on uh, on task and doing what I need to do, um, you know, especially with uh, going on the field. He, he taught me the importance of throwing program you know, locking it in and, um, you know, it's been, it's been good, but most of most time, uh, you know, me and Woody, we always just jab at each other and, and mess around with each other. So, uh, he's a, he's a good person to, uh, lay back and just kick it with. You know, Pete, we were talking to Anthony Masevich last week, and it's amazing to think about your journey because you have ascended with a bunch of guys you're with right now, Justice Sheffield and Masevich and a whole bunch of guys. What does it mean to you to not only get to the major league level, but do it with guys you've been with for so long? It was really cool. Um, and, and looking back, I feel like 
like Chef and I have been, you know, together for four or five years, but it really wasn't that long ago that, that, you know, he showed up in, in Arkansas and, and we kind of started this journey, but um, yeah, guys like Masevich, um, Justin Dunn, Art Warren, Joey Gerber, uh, shoot, there's a, there's a ton of them um, and there's more on the way, but um, it, it's, I imagine it's similar for, for them when they look around in the clubhouse and see guys that they came up with, with Kalu and, and Evan White, um, just to have that comfortability, um, you know, kind of like what, what Chef said, like, know that, like, you you're, you got your boys with you. It's it, uh, it it makes a lot more fun to come to the ballpark. Um, but it's it's special just because I know where they were, um, the struggles they had in the minor leagues, the the grind of the minor league, the, uh, you know, that that light at the end of the tunnel. So to see them, you know, step step over the white lines with uh, with the Mariners jersey on is is exciting every single time. It's a real treat for us right now on the Hot Stove Report. We're joined by Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth and Mariners starting pitcher Justice Sheffield. It's amazing how many times Gary and I, when, when talking to players and when they reference their position coaches, like the player needs to be able to trust that the coach has his best interest in mind and how that's, that's a hard line of credit for a player to build up with a coach. How, how do you go about building that with any player, whether a guy like Justice who you've worked with for a long time or a guy who maybe, you know, Jerry signs as a free agent this winter? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's different for, for every individual guy, but um, I don't know, just taking like Chef for, for example, um, I think where it, where it started was figuring out like what, what do you really want, Chef? Like how do you want this to play out? Um, so once you kind of know – what what chef wants, what he wants his career to look like, what he wants this year to look like, what he wants his stuff to look like, what he wants, you know, bullpens, everything. What's the goal? What's the path? Um, where Where's that destination going? Then it's, it's just about kind of sitting in the passenger seat and just reminding him like, Hey, we got to get off here. Um, hey, that light's turning red. Um, and just keeping them, focused on that, on that journey, on that path. Um, and I think the more you, you remind them and the more you keep them, you know, um, I guess online, um, towards that, that, that destination, uh, I think that's where the trust comes in. Um, I don't, I don't know, like I said, every, everybody's different. Um, but once, once we're both on the same page, then we can both go together. Um, and I think that makes it a lot more, uh, not just enjoyable, but um, we're both going to get better as as we go along. And you do that with 13, 15 pitchers. You do that with 35 guys on a roster. Uh, you're going to reach that destination. When we come back, we've got more with Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth and Mariners starting pitcher Justice Sheffield. Plenty more to come on the Hot Stove Report. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Sheffield trying to strike out the side. See what he goes to here. Twists. Deals. Swing and a miss. A helpless cut by Van Meter. A vicious slider in the dirt. Down he goes, and Sheffield strikes out the side. A dominant inning for Justice Sheffield. Down go the Diamondbacks. And the Mariners take a 7-2 lead to the 7th. 
Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill joined by Justice Sheffield and Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Guys, uh, we are very excited, and the excitement builds as we talk to more and more of your counterparts on this program week in and week out leading into spring training about the direction the Mariners organization is going. We, We got a great glimpse of it. In 2020, a lot of hardware for the Mariners that they brought home. As we all know, Gold Gloves, a Rookie of the Year award as well. Uh, Justice, you've been in the organization long enough now to be around these guys, to know what they're made of, and to see kind of what's happening. When If you were to run into somebody in Tullahoma and they were saying, hey, Justice, what's going on with the Seattle Mariners? I mean, what is your spiel as to what you think is coming down the pike in the short term and kind of the five-year plan for what the Mariners are looking like right now? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just in the past, you know, two years that I've been with the Mariners, just – and through my eyes, seeing the the changes, um, the differences of, you know, guys that are getting to the big leagues that I've played with and how quickly they're being able to adjust to the league and and um, and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, honestly. And the amount of guys that we still have coming up um, that I still haven't even got to see play, but I've heard all these things about, um, you know, I know that those guys are going to come in and, and give it their all and, and – uh, want the best for the team. And I feel like that's what it's going to take. Um, you know, we're going to have to not have any egos, any big egos, things like that. And, um, you know, guys just kind of uh, fit in and align with us. And that's kind of uh, what we've always said um, past couple of years. And uh, that that works. I feel like um, guys come in, give it their all, selfishly uh, do what they need to do um, on their own. And then that'll eventually, uh, you know, turn into team wins and, and, uh, team celebrations, things like that. So, And what do you have a unique perspective in that? Obviously you're working with the guys that are up here now, but you've seen a number of those guys we've been talking about for the past couple of years. And you haven't seen them all, but you've seen a number of them that we expect to be here in the near future as well. Yeah. The, uh, the, the flood is coming. Um, yeah. We've, we've kind of been, been building the, the foundation in, in the player development arena um in the minor leagues these past four or five years um and now you know we're starting to see the the players that we've drafted you know taking over that that mold and and building on top of that and uh there's there's a ton more to come um and I I can't speak from the from the hitting side but from the pitching side um Max Wiener and and Trent Blank have have created a, a a program that is just developing arms um and it's not just the George Kirby's and and Logan Gilbert and Emerson Hancock's like there's a there's a <laughs> there's a whole tribe full of them that uh that continue to get better and uh it's going to be interesting these next couple of years because the the competition's only going to get to get higher um I'm excited for the spring training just to see, uh, you know, the the development that we've had, especially on the pitching side, come through, and uh, guys get to go out there and kind of show us what they got. Pete Woodworth, Mariners pitching coach, and Justice Sheffield, our guests on the Hot Stove Report. Guys, it was fascinating uh, talking with uh, Marco Gonzalez last week on the program. Uh, you know, Marco's been here uh, among the longest tenured Mariners that the, the club currently has, and uh, without question is one of the great leaders within the club. You know that better than I do. And Justice, he was basically telling us 
about the culture, which has now the, the wet cement has started to harden on the culture with the Mariners and specifically on the pitching side of things. And it, he made it sound like justice there, there wasn't so much that had to be said anymore about what's expected and the work ethic that is demanded by the coaches and by one another as players and that it's seen and that the players by and large handle it themselves. And not all the time does that need to be talked about because it's just on display in front of your eyes. Can you walk us through what it has been like for you as one of the newer uh, Mariners, even though you you did have a a full season of starts last year, an abbreviated season, what it's been like for you to come in, get a feel for that culture and now be one of the guys who is helping to implement it. Yeah. uh, You know, it started with Marco. Uh, I'm going to go just, base it off just the starters because um, that's who I'm with every day in my work groups and things like that. Uh, dude, Marco, I can't tell you enough, like the leadership qualities that he has and, and the way he can pull together a group of, of guys. Um, like I said, especially the starters uh, at the beginning of the year, he, he was kind of like, he laid it down, but not really because we already kind of, everyone already knew what was expected of him and what we needed to do. But it was along the lines of luck, we're in this to together we're a family we're gonna fight together uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna go out here and, and whoop up on some teams and we're gonna take some losses together but uh you know I felt like just those six group of guys uh in that in that um rotation um and we had some guys put, go in and out you know uh, Kendall come in the in the rotation and then go out in the bullpen uh Taiwan left uh guys like that but uh I felt like Marco made sure that that group never butt heads or, or, or fell apart. It was always just, we were glued together. We knew what we wanted to do. We had one goal and it was easy. Um, you know, it's not like we were out there trying every day to be good teammates or do what we do. No, it was just like, we just, it just, it gelled like that. It, it just worked out like that. So, uh, you know, Marco, he's, he's, he's a guy that I look up to and, you know, that I'm glad to have run in, to in, in my time in my career right now. So, um, you know, all props to him. And, you know, like I said, we just got to go out and do it together. It felt like you really established yourself last year. Are you approaching this upcoming year any differently? Does it feel different going into this year? I don't think so. Uh, I still want to keep my head down and keep pushing. Uh, I feel like that's just the type of player I am. Uh, just keep my head down and, and give it all I got every time for my team. And that's, that's what I, that's what I love. I love the game to go out there and compete and, and try and win and, and get the win today for my team. Like, I love that. That's my favorite feeling ever. But, uh, no, nah, I feel like there's no difference. I'm not going to walk in like a big, you know, bet or guy that played in the show last year. Like, it's just, that ain't it. I feel like I'm just going to go in and get my work in and, and leave it at that. Pete, your, your first year as a big league pitching coach, I know I joked at the time when we last spoke, uh, nobody saw your face the entire year. Uh, <laughs> you were the, you were the masked man as everybody else was with uh, all your mountain visits. We never actually saw you, uh, but what a bizarre way to break into your big league coaching career. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway and the differences between doing this in the Texas league and doing this in the American league West? Um, I think the, one of the biggest takeaways was that there wasn't a huge difference. Um, I think we, we put too much emphasis um, and, and I think players do as well that uh, they have to do more. They have to be better. They have to be perfect. They have to work, you know, 
20 times harder. They have to study 50, you know, when it, when it was all over, I kind of looked back at it and saw that it was the same 60 feet, six inches. Every day we had throwing program. Every day we had bullpens. Every day we had meetings. It was the same game. It was the same development. Um, you know, we, we, we took a plane instead of a bus. Um, <laughs> Uh, the stadiums were a little nicer than, than <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, it, it was the same game. And, um, you know, kind of like we touched on earlier, it was a lot of the same players. So um, it, it doesn't matter whether, whether you're Marco or, or a chef or a, a guy who's making his, his debut. Um, they're all, they're all pitchers. They're either right-handed or they're left-handed, um, but they want to be better. They want to be the best that they can be, um, and I don't—I didn't really think that changed from from Texas to Seattle. We have a few minutes left with Justice Sheffield and Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth. Justice, let's uh, since your pitching coach is is on the line with us, I think I think we have to dive in and get a, a little bit in the weeds into your repertoire last year and some of the things that we saw. Your slider, Justice. I mean, it, by any number of measurements, I think you can make the case it in one year's time, it became one of the better pitches of any starting pitcher, especially in the American League. Uh, when you look at the progression that that pitch has had, especially in your time, I'm guessing, since coming to Seattle and what you've been able to make it into uh, last year and where it even maybe can go from here, I mean, when you throw that pitch, what does it feel like to throw that nasty of a pitch to a guy? Sometimes, honestly, <laughs> sometimes it's like whatever. Like I've I've, I've done it, you know. <laughs> I, just, I, I feel like it's just like a slider to me. It's just a normal slider. But then sometimes I'll surprise myself and I'll be like, man, like, oh, he ain't hitting that. Ain't no way. <laughs> but no, nah, um, you know, I, I feel like I've always had a pretty decent slider. It's just the point of learning how to throw it in the zone and keep the same shape um, and just literally throw it aggressively in the strike zone. That's that's kind of what he knows. I say it in my bullpens every time, land a slider aggressively in the strike zone. And, you know, Woody will get on to me sometimes if he's like, if I'm like, oh, I'm just going to try and land it or I'm just going to try and flip one in there. He's like, no, what, like, what are you talking about? You're going to throw it aggressively in the zone. Like, we're not about to just land pitches or just softly do it. So, uh, but no, I, I just feel like I've always had that pitch in, in my back pocket. Woody, t- tell us in, in pitching coach speak, if you can break it into everyday vernacular, when, when Justice is talking about throwing it aggressively in the zone versus just landing it or flipping it in there, what, what are the differences here? Uh, intent. Um, I don't know. There, there's some days where it is on another level. Um, and you, you see it in the bullpen and it'll, it just has a little extra bite and you just know that he's going to make some guys look a little silly that day. Um, but I don't know when he just throws that thing <laughs> with, with intent. I think that's, that's probably one of the, the main uh, vernaculars we use just throw that thing. Uh, <laughs> can we can we hear it one more time? Throw that thing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, usually the next pitch is nasty too. <laughs> <laughs> Justice, tell us about the changeup, man. The the changeup is something that uh, we saw uh, 
a, a little bit more uh, last year than we did the year before. It, it would appear as though it's a pitch that is uh, that you're growing in confidence with. It is really a, a very important pitch for you to be able to throw. Uh, tell us your feelings on on how that pitch has come along and, and the future of it for you. Yeah, I feel like uh, that changeup was one of the main reasons why I had uh, some success last year. Uh, just being able to keep the hitters off balance. Uh, I think it was a reason why I was able to go through the lineup more than twice, uh, um, sometimes three, four times. Uh, you know, I think it's just the deeper in the game, I can I can just use that pitch and lean on that if I'm behind in the count or uh, maybe I need a quick ground ball out or, you know, run on first, need a double play, something like that. It's just one of those pitches I can just go to. And, you know, I'm consistently throwing it, consistently um, – Right now, I'm trying to kill some speed off of it. Um, I feel like the action is good on it. Uh, I feel like it's just a little bit too hard. Uh, I threw it a little bit too hard last year. But I feel like if I can kill some speed on it, um, which I feel like it, right now I, I'm good with it, um, just got to keep throwing it. But I feel like it would be uh, could be a plus pitch uh, in the future for myself to be able to strike some guys out going with that slider. So, Well, both of you gentlemen, we, we can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, Pete, I'll start with you. Thank you so much. We know you've got a uh, a young and uh, burgeoning household there in Florida, and we appreciate you taking a few moments away from the family. It's great to talk with you, Pete. No problem. Can't uh, can't wait to do this in person here soon. Us too, Justice. Uh, we we know you got a hole in the wall restaurant to get to, and a, a, good, a good dinner coming your way tonight. Uh, we wish we could join you, but it's, it's great seeing you, man. It's great to see that smile, and uh, we we can't wait to see you in that uh, Arizona sunshine sometime soon. Yeah, can't wait to see y'all. Our thanks once again to Pete Woodworth and Justice Sheffield. We've got more to come on the Hot Stove Report. When we return, MLB.com writer Anthony Castrovince. Great things he's written about the Mariners this winter. He joins us right after this. All things Mariners, all offseason. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith alongside Gary Hill. As we're joined now by Anthony Castro Vince, writer for MLB.com, kind enough to join us from his home in Cleveland. Anthony, it's great to have you on the program. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Guys, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Is it too late to say Happy New Year? Are we allowed? I think we might be past the, uh, the Happy <laughs> no, New Year. No, no, no. Happy there's... New Year all the same. <laughs> no, I mean... It's a, this is a very polite show. We'll, we, we, we wish <laughs> okay. it all the way we'll into spring it. training, even. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, we, we earned the new year, so what yeah, we're going to Yeah, no matter if it's similar or different or somewhere in between. Hey, uh, <laughs> Anthony, you have written a, a lot of great pieces, especially as of late for MLB.com, as uh, we're all kind of waiting for things to get fired up for spring training. And you wrote something that will make uh, many Mariners fans very happy. Uh, you titled it the way too early predictions uh, for the upcoming season. I-, I don't think they're too early at all. I think they were right on time. Uh, with that in mind, Anthony, you predicted that uh, the Mariners would be uh, winning the division in 2021. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, as you kind of gave yourself a way to slip through the back door when, when writing it, which I understand it. Uh, but obviously there's at least something – if, if to say the least intriguing to you about the Mariners this season, can you explain to us uh, what that is? There is, I mean, it works in two ways. Um, you know, it, it certainly might be uh, putting the cart ahead of the horse. Let's acknowledge that. But um, when you do look around the American league West, there's just significant question marks up and down that division. And I, I wouldn't feel confident picking any of those clubs right now. Um, you know, the Mariners included, because the Mariners obviously have a lot of uh, room to grow. 
but that's a team with, you know, they're young players. They've really rebuilt their farm system in a good way in the last few years, and their prospects are getting close to the big leagues. Um, it's a team that's turning over pretty quickly. Uh, the Jared Kalenic era will hopefully uh, be upon us, you know, before long at, at the big league level here. And it can happen fast. You know, we, we've seen it. It happened with the Braves uh, in the NL East a few years back where all of a sudden they were really good. Uh, and I'm not saying it's, it's the same exact concoction uh, with, with Seattle, but they also have some financial flexibility in a market that's just got a lot of inventory in terms of free agency. So I, I don't know how aggressive they'll be, but that's that's one of those teams that I think could, you know, maybe be a little more frisky in free agency than than people outside Seattle maybe give them credit for. Um, and then the other element is just the division itself. And, you know, the Astros are obviously in a major uh, transition period uh, right now. And, you know, they, they look a lot different than they did, uh, you know, when they got to the World Series most recently in 2019. Um, the Angels have a lot to prove when it comes to putting a pitching staff together. And they're, they're certainly trying to do so. But, um, you know, they're already their budget is is pretty large as it is. Uh, they're still paying Albert Pujols for, Pujols for another year, the Mike Trout contract, the Anthony Rendon contract. So, um, you know, it, they could do a splurge for a Trevor Bauer, but it, it could compromise their uh, efforts with the rest of the pitching staff, which I think needs multiple pieces. So they're, they're a big question. The A's, who, you know, I, if it makes Mariners feel, fans feel good, I did pick the A's uh, to win the division last year and, hmm. Uh, you know, it turned out to be right about that, but they, they're they going to look a lot different as well. And we know the budget constraints there, and they've got, you know, they had 10 guys uh, from that team reach free agency. Liam Hendricks already signed with the White Sox, so it's just a team that, that's going to look a lot different. So, uh, you know, it, it would be a lot to ask the Mariners to make that kind of a surge, but I do think when you look at the AL West, it's it's turning over. You know, it's starting to – it's going to take on a different complexion here moving forward. Yeah, how do you think things will look projecting out, not only for next year, but, I don't know, the next three-year window? How do you see this division looking? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the Mariners are, like I said, when you build it the right way, the way they have, when you do create a strong farm system and have financial flexibility to go with it, you know, it might not be in 2021, but that's certainly a team that, you know, I, I feel pretty bullish on their long-term projection, you know, long-term being, you know, the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um Texas is, is trying to do that as well. They, they tried to make an effort last year. They're moving into a new ballpark, and unfortunately it turned out to be a new ballpark sans fans. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're basically having to kind of start from scratch a little bit. You know, they, they have some pieces at the major league level, but they strike me as perhaps further away than the Mariners. Um, and, and the Angels, you know, it's just it's, – it's unfortunate the way things have played out there as well where, you know – when Mike Trout was performing well above his paycheck, uh, when he was, you know, one of the uh, best bargains in baseball, the best bargain in baseball, they just didn't uh, adequately build around him, unfortunately. Uh, Now he's paid the way he ought to be. Um, Now they're paying Anthony Rendon. And again, that just gets back to, it it just makes it more difficult when you are a little top heavy like that. Mm -hmm. It makes it more difficult to adequately surround those players. And, you know, their farm system isn't as strong as, as, as perhaps Seattle's. So, you know, um, that, that's, I'm just talking about the teams here who haven't been in the playoffs recently. And those are the three, and I would put the Mariners top in that pecking order, to be honest. Um, and, and the Astros are just, they're, they're going to, you know, there, there's a cost that comes with being good for a while in MLB. And your, your farm system gets rated, players graduate to the big leagues, you trade guys to augment the big league club. Uh, in their case, you know, they were, they were hit hard in the draft uh, because of their 2017 infractions. So 
Um, and then Oakland, it's, you know, we always know the story there. They're, they know how to put a roster together, but they have to do it on the cheap. And there's, there's difficulty that comes with that. So I, I just think the, I, I think there's a clear avenue for the Mariners to, to take advantage of in these next couple of years. You've watched one of the big stories this offseason unfold with Lindor going to the Mets. Where does that leave Cleveland right now? I know they've flashed a ton of payroll, but as you point out, this is a, a franchise that's been really good for a long time, especially and when you look at what they've done with starting pitching, it's really been magnificent. Is that going to be enough? Are they left with enough at this point? Uh, not at this point. It's just a matter of how do they apply the, the money savings from that deal. You know, they, they saved uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million um, for 2021 in, in trading uh, Lindor and Carrasco. And, um, you know, it's my understanding they do intend to spend a, a good percentage of that, again, in a market with a lot of inventory. So there's there's things they could do. They, they still have a really good young core of, of young pitching. You know, Shane Bieber, the, the reigning Cy Young winner. Uh, Aaron Savali has been really good for them. Uh, Tristan McKenzie came up last year. Jack Plutko has been very good. So they, they have the pieces that still have a, a strong rotation. And so the lineup has so many question marks. And um, But in doing that trade, you know, they probably had a better offer from the Blue Jays in terms of, you know, upside potential long-term. But the Blue Jays' offer was entirely long-term. It was, it was entirely prospect-oriented, whereas the Indians uh, decided to do a, a deal that was a couple prospects and a couple, you know, big league pieces right now in the infield. So if they if they spend that money on the outfield and and you know prop the lineup up a little bit, you know they they could probably be competitive still. I, I do think the Lindor trade is probably something that should have happened at least a year ago. Mm. Um, you know when when his value was higher, and anybody can say that you know after the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, I would have said that because um, you know it's just so difficult when you get one year away from free agency in today's game and you're making somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty million dollars in arbitration. It's just harder to to get a deal done uh, that, that you feel good about and that the fans can feel good about for giving up uh, such an elite talent, but they maintained a high price tag on Lindor last winter and ultimately it wasn't met. And then, you know, they, they just ran into a tough situation there with the pandemic. It really uh, altered the economic factor a lot. Anthony, do you have a personal favorite since you are in town there for the future Cleveland baseball team name? <laughs> I do. I'm I'm very pro spiders. Um, yes. I, I, I like the history of it. Um, you know, Cleveland. For those who don't know, Cleveland had a National League franchise with the Cleveland Spiders, and um, they brought the city its its first major professional sports championship in 1895. Everybody remembers that one, the the Temple Cup champions. Uh, <laughs> um, they also had one of the worst. They they also had maybe the worst team in Major League history in 1899. But that's 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 an ownership issue where. <laughs> back then you could own you, believe it or not back then you could own multiple teams and their owner owned multiple teams and basically gave all the good players to the st louis team that he owned so i i don't i don't look at that too seriously um and then i even anthony, found some references anthony they were tw- they were 20 and 134 anthony they were 20 <laughs> and 134 in 1899 look at the, the home road look at the home road splits they, they stopped playing games at home they started playing their entire season on the road and again gave away all their best players so that's that's an aberration that season, but um, and it's interesting because in digging into this, I found some references to the American League team as the Spiders, and, and certain newspapers referred to them as the Spiders. Their names were kind of changing all over the place back then, so there actually is a tie to the American League team as well. I just think it's super marketable. It's got the history, so why not? But it does have, uh, from what I'm told, it has some major legal hurdles in terms of trademark issues and that sort of thing. And and some people just don't like spiders, but um, <laughs> you know, with, with all the uh, 
With all the suggestions I've heard, that that's the best one to me. Well, they have eliminated a name. They will not be the Cleveland Lindors. We know that for a fact now. <laughs> that's, that's, for, that's for darn sure. Well, that's how they became the Indians in the first place right. was uh, Nap Lajaway, their great second baseman. They were the Cleveland Naps. And then um, he went off to Philadelphia, and all of a sudden they needed a new name. And, you know, there's this this uh, this farce that it was uh, to honor a, a relatively obscure player from the late 1800s who was on the Spiders, Louis Sack Alexis. That's not really why they chose the Indians' name. If you dig into the newspaper reports for that time, it's really just riding the wave of the Boston Braves, the Miracle Braves of 1914. So, um, had just won the championship. So they're just kind of uh, trying to <laughs> trying to get some of that mojo. Um, and then five years later, they did win the World Series, and the name stuck ever since. So, here we are. He is Anthony Castro Vince of MLB.com. More with one of the great writers of the game today when we come back on the Hot Stove Report. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Glad you're with us tonight on the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill joined once again by MLB.com writer Anthony Castro Vince. And it is difficult to find someone in the game these days who is as well-versed on baseball back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, as we were just talking to Anthony about as they are with the modern version of the game of baseball. Anthony certainly can cover both sectors. He has written a book, A Fan's Guide to Baseball Analytics, Why War, Whip, Woba, and Other Advanced Sabermetrics Are Essential to Understanding Modern Baseball. It's a fascinating read and a very helpful read. Anthony, what was it that brought you and inspired you to put pen to paper and write this book? Well, part of it was just my own uh, evolution in covering baseball. Um, you know, when I got into it, I like everybody else, I, I would cite home runs and batting average and RBI. And that's the stuff I grew up with and felt comfortable with. Um, and then, you know, as as the game has evolved, I've evolved along with it. And out of necessity, it helps me better understand the game to understand these numbers and to put things in better context and compare eras. Um, it, it's just vital. And I know fans roll their eyes because these have really silly names, you know, war and Woba and whip and what, whatnot. Um, it, it can be really hard to embrace. And I don't think there's a lot out there that was a, a really good, easy explainer to the casual fan or the average fan uh, to really grasp. Uh, sometimes it was really talking down to people and I didn't want to do that. I, so I, I wanted to write a book that was, you know, really relatable and fun and easy, just an easy read. And, you know, I, I hope I pulled it off because it, it's not easy because, you know, these, these numbers are so wonky. But um, I, I try to make it as relatable as possible and, and kind of demystify uh, these terms, because I, I think that if you do understand them, I think you can enjoy modern baseball a lot better. And I, I do think you'd have a lot of fun with it, too. Um, it, it's so impossible to look at a 300 average today versus a 300 average you know, in, in the 1950s, it's just two very different games. So we have stats now that, that can really contextualize things and, and put players in perspective to what the rest of the league was doing. We're obviously in a low batting average era right now. We're in a high home run era right now. Um, so, you know, a home run count or a batting average doesn't necessarily uh, equate to what you think in your mind. I mean, there's guys who have 15, 20 home runs who are, you know, not that great. This <laughs> is kind of the, mm. the era we're in. Um, so it helps to have these these plus stats, these contact stats that uh, give you a better idea of how guys are performing relative to the league average. I think that's the key to the whole thing. I love this concept because it's something that we have to think about all the time on the radio side of things, talking about advancements and the type yeah. of fans we're talking to all the time. So I I think this book is tremendously valuable. So if you have a fan 
that comes up to you and says, okay, give me the most important position player number. What is the most important offensive number in the game? Do you have an answer? What's your favorite? Yeah, for me it would be either OPS plus or weighted runs created plus. And the reason I say those two is they're, they're, they're very similar. Um, it's just that one is available at Baseball Reference and one is available at Fangrass.com. Um, so it's just a matter of whatever site you, if you Google a player's name, you'll usually, usually his baseball reference page will be one of the first links there. So sometimes that's the easier one to find. So, I mean, that, that's what I want to do. If I, if, Hey, what kind of season did, uh, you know, did Kyle Lewis have? I'll, I, I want to look at his OPS plus. I want to see how he did relative to the league average. So for those who don't know and haven't read the book yet, uh, 100 is league average. Okay. So that's, that's pretty easy to understand where, you know, 100 is, is the average in the league. Kyle Lewis last year had a 126 OPS plus. That means he was 26% better than the league average. So now I have an idea and now I can compare him to other players pretty easily. I can just look at those OPS plus. And that's, that's what I do. And obviously wins above replacement has become really popular and a, almost a crutch for some writers and analysts and whatnot. Um, it has its flaws. It has its weaknesses. It also has its strengths. Um, but if you want to know just the total, the total package, including the defense and the base running, you know, it's the best we've got in, in terms of one number that, that's going to tell you all those things. Yeah, we are very pro WRC plus and OPS plus uh, for yeah. many of the reasons you just listed. Just to, as wonky as they look, it's really very simplistic once you get a, a, a sense of it, Anthony. I, I do have to, since, you know, Gary got to go first and, and and ask you your favorite, which means that I'm left, I have to be the bad guy. Answer. <laughs> I, I, I do want to know, what stat is it that when you flip on a game on TV or on the radio and you hear one of one of us talking about it or you read about it, that you just go, man, can somebody just put this stat to bed forever? <laughs> um, honestly, for me, I mean, there's there's several you could answer with i don't get quite as fired up about this stuff as, as some of the you know the the nerds out there so to speak but obviously rbi has its flaws batting average has its flaws wins definitely has its flaws and and there's you know it's a really silly stat in terms of how we tabulate wins and it doesn't tell you much anymore but honestly i think my answer might be the error now and fielding mm-hmm. percentage just because it's just you know i i've been in many press boxes i see how games get scored and you know, uh, an error in, uh, in, 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 you know, T-Mobile Park one night is not necessarily an error in Oakland Coliseum the next. It's two different scores, and they're sitting up in the third or fourth level, and, you know, they, they, they got ketchup stains on their hands. And, yeah, it's just it's not, it's not the best way to judge defense. It's just a terrible way to judge defense. And I point that out in the book. Um, yeah, that was, that was a fun chapter to write because it is pretty crazy what gets called an error, what doesn't. I think, honestly, I'm, I'm almost at the point where just, Everything in play that a guy gets on base is a hit. Just go with that because it's pretty crazy how errors are doled out. Mm. And that that, in, that impacts fielding percentage. It impacts ERA. And it, it impacts all these things in a tremendous way. Uh, we just have better ways to evaluate defense now. And, you know, that's really after the fact with video study and, and now, uh, you know, stat cast and um, Doppler radar and where guys are moving and all that. We, just, we can just do a much better job than fielding percentage. So that would probably be mine now. That would be the one I would get rid of. That was a sneaky good answer. I was really expecting 
a strong push towards either wins or RBIs, which you both you, you referenced both of them to be fair, but that was a very good answer. I like that. That was good. The thing is, you could still you can still find some value in wins and RBI. I, I just I can't sure. find values in, in error totals anymore. But yeah, there's always like you know if a guy has 200 wins in his career, I'm still learning something about him. He must have hung around for a while. He must have mm. you know he must have done some good in his career if he has 200 wins. But yeah, errors just don't move the needle for me anymore. Yeah, it's you are a to some degree large or smaller in the middle. You're you're a product of your environment for those two statistics. Yeah, right? for, yeah. for RBIs yeah. or for wins, you need some help. Uh, not to say that right. you didn't earn it, but you need some help. So I'm 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 with you totally. Anthony, uh, hey man, this has been a lot of fun. We we love having you on the program. You, you lend us such a, a great national perspective, both from the from the Mariners, but also uh, throughout the, the rest of the game. And so we we cannot thank you enough. And thanks for hopping on with us tonight. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. He is Anthony Castro Vince. He's a writer for MLB.com. Kind enough to join us here on the Hot Stove Report. Well, baseball is just around the corner, and the best way to catch all the action of the Mariners this season is with the 2021 Flex membership. It's the most flexible plan in the game, allowing you to attend the games you want, sit where you want, and spend what you want, all with no deposit required. For more information on how you can become a Flex member, text 21 to 71532. We've got more of the Hot Stove Report coming right up.